things that we say that depending on a person's perspective are either good things or bad things. One of the things that we said tonight in one of our songs was, Lord, come quickly. And depending on your perspective and your place in life, it will determine whether or not that is a good thing to say or that is an ill-fated thing to say. For those who are believers, for those who are faithful to the Lord, for those who are trying our very best to be diligent in our service to Him, to say, Lord, come quickly, we mean that. We look forward to the end of this world. We look forward to the victory that can be realized that we talked about in our study together this morning. But for those who are not Christians, those who have never named the name of Christ, or those maybe who are, who have gone astray, who are no longer living faithfully, to say, Lord, come quickly would be something that doesn't make sense at all. Because you want to say, Lord, don't come right now. Let me get myself in order first, as Hezekiah was told to get his own house in order, so to speak. And the same is true when it comes to the statement or the truth of Jesus that he's coming back. And is that good news or is that bad news? We believe it is good news because we are looking forward to the time when he comes and redeems us from this world where this earth and everything that is around it is destroyed and we get to go home. But for those who are not faithful, the idea of Jesus coming back might be a very frightening thing. And I've known of individuals before who thinking about whether it be the end of this world in general or perhaps the end of their life in specific form, they are alarmed at the idea of life ending. You've known of individuals before. Perhaps you know of someone right now who they are approaching their later years in life and they're alarmed about the notion of death. And I understand that it's normal and perhaps even human to be a little bit concerned about life coming to an end and is it going to be a painful exit and I don't want to leave my children burdened or my spouse saddened or whatever the case may be. But we approach death differently. We approach the end of the world differently because rather than it being a source of discomfort or discouragement, the, the idea that Jesus is coming back as outlined in the passages that we read this morning and that we're going to read this evening is something that should, based on what the Holy Spirit provides for us, comfort us about the return of Jesus Christ. And so being comforted about the return of Christ is a direct, resilient idea of what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. And I want to go and read a, a, a passage from Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. If you'd like to open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in chapter 4. And we're going to read down through chapter 5 in about verse 6, though we are going to reference verse 11 as well. As has already been said, we are very thankful for the number of visitors that are here visiting with us here at Northfield Boulevard. You are our honored guest, and we appreciate it. We've had a lot of visitors throughout the course of today, a lot of people that we met maybe for the first time or we haven't seen in some time, and we're glad to see them. 
And uh, someone remarked to me this morning, they had remembered that I had said, if you do visit with us more than two or three times, we do have a requirement that you must move to this area and begin worshiping with us. And so if you have to move across the world or across the country, you've got to be with us. No, we're just joking with you. But we are just so delighted to have people from various parts of Tennessee or various parts of the country with us today. And thank you so much for being with us. I want to read beginning in verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, the word ignorant there is not the same thing as not being smart. It's the concept of being unknowing or not having the knowledge. He says, I want you to have the knowledge concerning those who have fallen asleep. And as good Bible students, you know that when the word asleep is used, generally speaking, it's the idea of a person who has fallen asleep in an eternal way who has died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Remember that phrase, sleep in Jesus. We'll come back to that in just a couple of moments. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now notice verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The very words that would be frightening to those who are worldly. To those who do not have a, an appropriate perspective on life and life hereafter, these would not be comforting words. You mean my life is going to come to an end? You mean I'm not, no longer going to live here on this earth? That scares me. That bothers me. Paul says, comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Drop down to verse 11. Again, he says, comfort each other and edify or build up one another just as you also are doing. And so on a couple of occasions, Paul says, comfort one another with words that have to deal with the end of the world, with the end of life, and with the end of existence of life here on earth. But as we always do with what Paul writes, or with what Peter writes, or James, or John, or with what Jesus had to say, we ask the question, why did Paul write these things? That may be a subject that is for a thought process beyond the scope of our study tonight. But one of the things that I want you to, to, to point out, or I wanted to point out, want to think about, is that by the time Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and we'll talk about the nature of the city of Thessalonica in just a moment, Jesus had been gone for maybe somewhere between 20 and 30 years. No one knows the exact date at what point. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica, but Jesus had been gone for a number of years, and he hadn't come back. 
And what you have here is the saints at Thessalonica know very well that life on earth isn't about life on earth as we talked this morning. And they're tapping their foot saying, Jesus, it's been a little while here. You haven't come back. Can you imagine if they were alive today what they'd be saying? They'd be saying it's been 2,000 years and you haven't come back. Now he'll come back either tonight or he'll come back tomorrow, or he'll come back next year, or he'll come back in a hundred years, or maybe in a thousand years, or sometime well after that. We don't know. In fact, Jesus himself says that no one knows the day of the day, not even myself, but my Father who is in heaven. But think about who he's writing to in this particular letter. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was a major city with lots of traffic, lots of roads, lots of people going through. And so the church there was strategic in, and located in a strategic location to spread the gospel to far places. In verse 8, he says, The word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So he says in his introductory words to the Christians at Thessalonica, you have been very instrumental in sharing the word with all kinds of people, and people have been privileged to learn the truth as a result of your efforts. But you need to understand that, yes, Jesus is coming back, but these things should be of comfort to you, and you need to be patient with that. And the same is true for those of us who are living some 2,000 years later, in that 21st century Christians could be comforted by knowing the good news that Jesus Christ is coming back. Let me suggest to you a handful of reasons why this is important for us to appreciate, why Jesus coming back is such a good thing. And I want us to use the text to outline our study together tonight. Let me suggest, number one, that we need to appreciate that there's power in Jesus' resurrection. People are talking more about the resurrection today than they'll talk about it throughout the entire year. But we understand that the power of Jesus' resurrection is not something just to be thought about on occasion. And not even for those of us who are members of the Lord's Church on the first day of the week. Nathan did a good job this morning by pointing out that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, yes, it's an occasion to remind us about partaking of the Supper and about the sacrifices of our Savior on the Lord's Day. But that should be something that we are thankful for each day that we live. We need to understand that the resurrection of Jesus is a reminder of our power over death. And that's what separates us from the world. That's what makes us different from the world, is the fact that we are not like the world who have no hope. If our hope is in this world only, we are all men the most pitiable or miserable, depending on the version you're reading from. But we are not miserable. And we say, Lord, come quickly. Hallelujah. We say, Maranatha. We say all those things that the scriptures talk about because look at verse 14 of chapter 4. He says, if we believe, if you like underlining things in your Bible, the word if is important. He says, if, in verse 14, he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, then God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. If you want to circle sleep in Jesus and write your name next to it, because you will one day sleep in Jesus. The only uh, occasion where that wouldn't happen, I suppose by definition, would be if you 
do not die before the end of the world transpires. But there are a lot of people who are sleeping in Jesus that we know, that we love, that we miss. But he says, don't lose hope for them. Be excited about what you are about to uh, inherit at some point. Someone once said, I want on my tombstone for it to say, asleep in Jesus. That's all I wanted to say. I don't even know that my name needs to be on the tombstone. Just say, asleep in Jesus. Because we may not know who's in the grave, but God our Father knows who's in the grave. And that makes all the difference that he's going to raise them because there's power in the resurrection. Do I believe that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again? That's a fairly simple question, but yet it is a huge and profound question. Isn't that true with so many things in the Bible? They're simple, but yet they are profound. Earthly life is not all that matters because death isn't final. And the fact of the matter is, is Jesus Christ's resurrection isn't just about power in 30 A.D. or 33 A.D. For those of you that like to really get into the, the nitty gritty of the timing where the date may have very well been 29 or 30 instead of 33. But the point that I'm trying to make is that there's comforting power here in 2021. And the idea here is where he says, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I think he's talking about me. He is talking about me. And he's talking about you. And he's talking about to these potentially discouraged saints in the early or mid part of the first century who say, it's been a little while. We're waiting. And Paul says, calm down. As long as you sleep in Jesus, the power of Jesus' resurrection is still powerful enough that you will be with him forever. Which brings us then back to that concept of what it means to sleep in Jesus. And we need to understand, secondly, that our loved ones, and for that matter, strangers, people we've never met, those who sleep in Jesus will live on. Some who have lost loved ones have legitimate sorrow. Verse 13, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Those who have no hope, if you want to underline that and say, not me. Because that's not me. I'm not going to ever be in the category that I do not have hope. I'm going to live my life so that I always have hope. And it's more than just an earthly hope or a whimsical wish, but it is an earnest expectation and a sincere desire that heaven is going to be my home. We actually have the ability to not be sorrowful when a saint dies. How beautiful it is, how precious it is, the psalmist says, that a saint would die in the eyes of our Paul would write to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 in a passage that is likely familiar to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing comes through Jesus Christ. It reminds me of a little girl who they had found out that her Nana had died. 
And she was a faithful Christian. And by all accounts, she was going to be in paradise and was going to go and, and be in heaven at some point. And everyone was crying after she had died at, the, at, at, a, at a ripe old age. And she, she tugged on her dad's coat and said, What's the matter? Wasn't Nana a Christian? Because that makes all the difference, does it not? Yes, we still sorrow. But, verse 13, not as those who have no hope. That's not going to be me. I'm not going to allow that to be me. The greatest gift we can ever give our loved ones is this comfort when we die. I've said it before. If you really want to make life difficult for people like David or people like me, live your life however you want without regard for spiritual things and then ask us to do your funeral service. You have just made our lives very challenging. But instead, the greatest favor that you can do for us is to live your life for God. Ask us to do your service or your loved ones to, to do this service. Some people, some people, I've had, I've got a, a man who's 91 years old in California season. I want you to do my farewell when it comes time. I had a lady years ago who was about 96 years old. She said, I heard you gave someone a good farewell. I want you to give me a good farewell too. I said, I'll be glad to do that. But the fact is, is these are individuals who are faithful to the Lord, whose hope is where it belongs, and who say, Lord, come quickly because of the hope that they have. They make the life of the preacher man a whole lot easier when he stands there to say some nice words about your life and to give hope to those who are still living. Thirdly, we will always be with Jesus. I would submit... And I was talking about this with someone a few days ago, and I forget who it was now. I wish I could remember who it was, but it was a great conversation. But it was about the end. It was about the fact that the world was going to come to an end. And I think that that concept, at least to me, that gives me a little bit of angst. I'm glad it's coming to an end. Don't get me wrong. And my hope is in Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But there are so many uncertainties associated with the end that it might be a little bit frightening. It might be, and it most certainly will be for those who are not saved, those who are not faithful to the Lord. Notice, if you would, how it outlines it in verse 16, where it says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. So he's going to come with a great shout, the scripture says. Paul says he's going to come with the voice of an archangel as being the chief messenger. And then there will be the sound of God's trumpet. Now it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so these things describe, at least for me, pose a little bit of angst in the sense that this is a big Big day. Why is this so frightening? It's especially frightening for those who are not in the Lord because all will hear his voice. Turn with me, if you would, back to the book of John chapter 5. And David referenced John chapter 5 uh, this morning in, in his study. And in John chapter 5 and verse 27, he says, He's given him authority to execute judgment also. Because Jesus, he is the son of man. And he says, do not marvel at this, verse 28. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life 
those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Notice verses 28 and 29 tell us that there will be an end. All will hear his voice. Everyone is going to be come out again in some form or some fashion. The fact of the matter is, is the scriptures seem to me to outline a schedule at the end. And that seeks to pacify our concerns. Who is going to rise first? What does verse 16 tell us? Well, let's go back and read verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the dead in Christ rise first. The living in Christ will join the risen and be caught up into the clouds, according to verse 17. And then if you take the time to reread verses 20 through 28, where our good brother read for us a few moments ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there is this meticulous order, or one author said a rank, where there was the filing of individuals who would stand before God. And I love verse 24. It's my favorite verse of chapter 15, where Paul says to the church at Corinth, then comes the end. Then comes the end. And we need to be ready for that end. But we'll always be with Jesus. Let's go a little bit further with that concept and that we'll want to have Jesus near us during a time that is otherwise frightening. We'll always be with Jesus. I love that phrase. I love that concept. Because otherwise it's going to be a frightening thing. The fact of the matter is, is we won't want him to leave our side. God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Verse 14. Literally, if you look at that word for word, the text says that God will lead out with him. Isn't that beautiful? It's as if Jesus, when the end comes, says, All right, all of you who are with me and who have been with me and who have sacrificed for me, all of you who are members of the church which I built and paid for and purchased with my blood, stick close to me. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to get as close to him as I possibly can get. Because I don't want to be far from him. I want to be near him. I want to be near the one who provided me hope, provides me hope, and will provide me hope. Which brings me then to this fourth and final observation. And that is when you think about the end of time, then cometh the end. The King James Version says, there's real Lasting meaning to what we are doing. Serving Christ isn't something that we, quote, just do, but rather it has eternal meaning. And I know that I'm speaking to a group of people who uh, probably understand this or else you would find some other place to be on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. Uh, And the fact is, is next Sunday morning, next Sunday evening, and the next Sunday morning and the next Sunday evening, we will continue to follow the tradition of those who were present 2,000 years ago in worshiping God on the Lord's Day. Furthermore, we go to gospel meetings, we engage in family devotionals, we come to Wednesday night Bible studies, we have couple studies, we study with our children, we study with parents, whatever the case may be, because we believe that the study of God's Word is so important. And with that being said, it is not something that we just do. 
but rather it has eternal meaning to it. If you go back to verse 2 of chapter 5, where we've really kind of landed ourselves in chapter 4 and, and chapter 5, he says, You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. The end will not be advertised. The end will not be anticipated. So that helping people prepare for it is vitally important. And I appreciate our brother Cameron leading us in prayer reminding us as we pray together to God to provide us with the wherewithal, the open doors, and the opportunities to teach others and to share the gospel message with them. Because we, verses 5 and 6, are the light and are responsible for educating them. Go back to verse 5 real quickly. He says, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and let us be sober. Some versions use the word self-controlled. Be self-controlled. I love the first part of verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. We need to be awake. In many ways, we are awake in this life so that we can rest in the next. Versus resting in this life taking it easy and doing everything that we want to do without regard for the Lord's work to suffer in the next. There is something very comforting about Jesus coming again. And we want to make sure that we are always ready for it. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort each other and build up one another as you are also doing. The hope that we have in Jesus ought not be a hope that we capture to ourselves without giving it to others. The fact of the matter is, is as we began, is how we close, in that the idea of Christ coming might be frightening to you. The idea of this world coming to an end might be scary for you. The notion of your life coming to an end might cause you to be frightened. But these are indeed comforting words to God's children. But let me suggest, as we have said throughout the course of our study together tonight, that these can be words of concern if you're not a faithful child of God. And so I would urge you to do two things. Number one, make them comforting to yourself and make them comforting to others. And that's the job that is before us. As Christians, as saints, as those who sing, Lord, come quickly, hallelujah. You know, Jesus is coming back. And that's a good thing. If that's not a good thing for you tonight then number one, recognize that it's not a good thing. Admit to yourself, yeah, I'm, I'm frightened over the, the concept of Jesus returning. I, I, I want to make sure that I am ready to answer him. We will all stand before him on the judgment seat, or as he sits on the judgment seat. Matthew 23 and verse 33, I'll end with, where it says, How can you escape the condemnation of hell? You can if you are prepared.
And that's what we want to help you with this evening. If you are not a Christian, if you've never been baptized to have your sins washed away, then we invite you to be baptized this very evening. We'll stick around as long as it takes to study with you. If you've got questions about that, if you're close, we want to help you go over the line to get to the point where you say, yep, I'm ready to become a Christian. And here tonight are countless men and women who care deeply about you, your soul, and your soul's salvation. We care more about that than we do anything else. Like we talked about this morning, we are not here today because of all the concerns of the world. We are here because of the concern for your soul when the world comes to an end. If that's something that we can help you with, or if as a child of God, having done those things, you're not living correctly, and you need to make some sort of correction, and we can help you in making that correction, we would love to pray with you and for you. If we can assist, encourage, or help, let us know while we stand and while we sing.